Lord, that is my prayer for all of us this morning, is that we'll find and discover what it really means to live by faith, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I, um, I think it's an exciting thing. For me it is, and I believe it is for you too. It's an exciting thing to be a part of something that God is doing. It's an exciting thing to, to feel like you have an opportunity to get to participate in what God is doing. In the first service this morning, we had two guests that were sitting down front, and that's always kind of unusual when people who are guests come and sit right down front. And um, I thought, wow, that's impressive, you know? I'm just being honest with you. When I go to visit a church, I try to get down front so that I don't have to look at the back of everybody's heads. But that's just me. And so I went to meet them after the service and talked with them for just a few minutes. And it was just such a pleasure because they picked a good day to come when we talked about what to do when you... And it's fun. And I don't use that word in a jocular way. And I hope that you don't take it in a way that doesn't mean it's not serious, but when you see God working in a family's life, in an individual's life, or in a circumstance, and you get to be a tiny part of that or a small part of that, that's really a fun thing for me to be a part of. We were driving back from just above Grand Rapids yesterday, and over the years, I've tried to have hobbies and do things and, you know, I um, thought for a while I wanted to be a fisherman. I didn't enjoy that too much. I do enjoy fly fishing and the reason I enjoy fly fishing is you got to do something. You got to keep casting that thing back and forth and there's an art to that. But just to throw a line out there and watch a cork, I just as soon watch the grass grow. <laughs> I sat in a tree one time and fell asleep in the tree. Next time I sat in the tree looking for a deer, cold water ran down my neck. And I thought, I can eat at a Shoney's breakfast bar and be warm. So I unloaded the rifle that I bought, climbed down, got in the truck, went home and got in the bed next to Becky where it was warm. She woke up. I took her to Shoney's to her breakfast bar. <laughs> also found out I could buy it a whole lot cheaper and I could hunt it. I've tried so many hobbies and just none of them ever really seemed to get me. And yesterday, out of the clear blue, we're riding back and we're holding hands and Becky said, you know, you've never been able to get a hobby and enjoy it. She said, but you love, you love to study the Word. That's your hobby. And I go, that doesn't sound very reverential <laughs> that that's my hobby, but Faith is one of those things that's always fascinated me. What I have discovered, though, about faith, and when we put a title up like we did on the sign this week, what happens when you have faith, I just pray that people don't drive by and go, oh, no, there's one of those weird churches, you know, where they're going to tell you if you give $1,000, you're going to be blessed. You know I've never told you that. I have told you and over and over, if, you give a th if you've got $1,000, you're blessed already. Amen? 
But I do believe in the power, the miraculous power of faith. Becky and I have discovered that sometimes to see God work, you've just got to step out and take a step of faith and give God a chance to work. Because most of the time, the people that I meet, they're sitting there doing nothing, waiting on God to do something. And maybe you grew up in a background, and I've had a lot of conversations with people like this. You grew up in a background where you were cautioned about getting ahead of God. I got to tell you, I have never met anybody that could outrun the Lord. What sometimes we have to do is just be willing to take a step of faith. And you have to guard against presumption because sometimes if you take a step of faith, you just need to go, Lord, if you're in this, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work, then you do what Becky and I do. You run. I mean... We've taken some steps of faith and we've shared it with our prayer partners. I've shared it with my prayer team. I've shared it with those that are around me. And, and, and this is just the way we've always tested faith because I'm not a real mystical person. And so I'll say, we're going to try this. And, and what happens is sometimes people, they get loud about their faith and they start telling everybody. And then their reputation depends, they feel like, their reputation depends upon the success of this adventure in faith, and then they try to make it happen. When it's a faith venture, it's not going to happen if God's not in it. Do you get the difference? When it's a faith difference, it's not going to happen if God's not in it. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a courageous godly, brave young man by the name of Jonathan. And when his father Saul was the king, suddenly they had been overrun by an enemy with a far superior army, far superior forces. And it's so badly, now get this, those of you that have been in the military, you'll appreciate this. It was so bad that the Israeli army began defecting and fleeing across the river to the other side. And Jonathan is just kind of disgusted by all of this. And so one night he says to his aide, he says to his assistant, he says, let's go across and let's see what God will do. God doesn't need an army to deliver Israel. God can do it through one man. Now think about the, the foolishness and think about how ludicrous that statement sounds. That God doesn't need an army to deliver Israel. He can do it through one man. But Jonathan was so wise in how he did this. He said to his aide, he says, we're going to go across. And if the enemy says to us, we're going to come down there and whip your you-know-whats. We'll know God's not in it, and we're going to get back to the other side of the river. He said, but if the enemy says, you come up here, and we'll teach you a thing or two, then we know that God has given them into our hands. And what was he doing? He was guarding against presumption. He was guarding against just doing something and hoping that God would be in it. He was taking a step of faith. So they crossed the river, and sure enough, Sure enough, the enemy says, come on up here and we'll teach you a thing or two. 
And Jonathan and his servant knew that they had delivered, that God had delivered the enemy into his hand. You can't explain how Jonathan went up and defeated that army and gave Israel the victory. But I'm telling you, nothing is impossible when God is in it. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Nothing is impossible when God is in it. All God needs is one person. All God needs is you. All God needs is you. All God needs is me. One person to be in agreement with his word and with his will, and God can accomplish anything in our lives. And so before we get into this this morning, I want you to know I'm not talking about what I would call presumptuous faith, because you're never going to put God on the line, but I am talking about obedient faith. And this morning, we're going to look at a story about lacking faith and doubt. We're going to look at a story about how we have to stop believing our doubts and start believing our faith. But before we do, I just wrote a little statement this week I thought I would give to you. Again, this comes out of my own personal journal. It's not the best statement, but it's the way I am able to process faith. And there are all kinds of deeper, better theological statements that you can look up. But let me give you a statement that I believe sums up for Becky and I what faith is. Faith is a vision for the future that's built upon God's Word. That's how we've raised our family. That's how we've built our marriage. That's how we've been able to do and be used of God in the way that we believe and trust that God has used us over the years because there were so many impossibilities and you know about those impossibilities. There were so many impossibilities, but faith was that vision. Not a vision that we build upon a pipe dream. Not a vision that we build upon a pink cloud fantasy. But a vision that as we read God's Word and together and we copied down verse after verse, we looked at those verses and applied them to our lives, that we could say, we can build our lives upon this. We can build our marriage. We can raise a family. We can build a ministry. And we can leave a legacy of faith for those who follow us when God calls us home. We can leave a legacy of faith because of a vision that's been built upon the foundation of God's Word. Hebrews 11 and 1-2 says, Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. And through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Real quickly, circle some words for me. First of all, faith shows. Faith will help you to see what other people can't see. I mean, you will see it in your mind's eye. You will see it in your faith. You will see it in your dreams. But faith will show you, secondly, the reality. There are some things that you can't see. You can't see God's grace. But you know God's grace this morning, don't you? You can't see God's love, but you've been touched by God's love this morning, haven't you? There are some things that are real, and because a scientific method can't test them out, and because you can't touch them with your hands or with any of your senses, it doesn't mean that they're not there. Our lives are built upon the reality of things we cannot see, which has led me to firmly believe that all of this three-dimensional world that we live in, that 
God, the realm that God is in, that God spoke this earth into being and created you and I, that realm is more real things we can see, taste, touch, and feel this morning. There are real things, and faith helps you to see that upon the Word. And then look at this, what we hope for, but the evidence. There are some of you here this morning, your evidence of faith. Your evidence of God's divine healing. Your evidence of God's plan of salvation. Your evidence of God's restoring grace. Your evidence this morning. And some of you, there are stories that I know nothing about that you can point back to and say, Pastor, if you only knew, here's the evidence of faith in our life and in our home. And then I'd like you to look at that last sentence, verse 2. And through their faith, people in days of old earned a good reputation. When I go home to be with Jesus, I want my reputation to have been one that I trusted God. I want your reputation to be one that you trusted God. So before I ask you to, to stand with me for the reading of the word, I want you to fill in this line. And here's what I want you to know. No matter if you're a person of great faith, little faith, or no faith. I don't know who you are this morning, where you come from, some of you. But no matter whether you have great faith, little faith, or no faith, God meets you where you're at because God loves you and of his amazing grace. And if you would, stand with me this morning as we go to the word of the Lord. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came and they told him, we have seen the Lord. Just seen the Lord. Say it with me. We have seen the Lord. We've not seen him. And boy, there's a blessing in that. But they said to Thomas, who wasn't there when Christ first appeared, Thomas, we've seen him. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it. Until I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. In other words, he's saying, it's impossible. I saw him crucified. I saw him die. Well, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was... The doors were locked. I mean, that's a detail that he wants you to get. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Can you imagine how frightening that must have been? Jesus is standing there, and evidently they're scared because he goes, Hey guys, peace. Peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas and says, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Boy, I think Thomas must have had a mixture of emotions like, oh, if I could only take back those things that I had said. He knows. He knows what I've said. And then at the same time, he is just so overwhelmed with love and gratitude. And he goes, the greatest confession you can ever make. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Yeah. And then Jesus 
Then the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you and me, we may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Father, there is so much here and so little time to try and unpack it. So I ask you this morning, would you help us wherever we're at? Big faith, little faith, no faith. God, would you meet us this morning? And would you help us to see exactly what Steve's saying this morning? What can happen when we have faith? And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, increase our faith. If we have big faith, give us great faith. If we have little faith, give us big faith. If we have no faith, then Lord, help us to cross that line and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in you, we will have eternal life in your name. For it's in your holy name I pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Well, I think it's so important when you go through a story like this and maybe hear a story like Jonathan this morning and maybe when somebody shares with you what Becky and I have seen happen and I've tried to share briefly so many miracles that have happened in our lives. One of the lessons that we've learned and we were taught early on in our life and continue to learn is that you've got to feed your faith. You've got to feed your faith and starve your doubts. And too many people feed their doubts and starve their faith. Too many people believe their doubts and doubt their faith. And one of the things that the scripture shows us over and over is the importance of feeding upon the word of God. That, for instance, human beings don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When I look at Thomas, Thomas for me fits very well into modern-day America. This is a skeptical society that we live in. This is a skeptical world that we believe in right now. And for Thomas, it must have just come natural to him to be pessimistic. For Thomas, it must have just been easy for him to be the kind of guy that doubted. I've often before told you that Thomas, his personality reminds me of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. You remember how that when Jesus was going to go to Bethany to pray for Lazarus and to raise him from the dead. Thomas doubted, and Thomas just looked at the rest of the disciples when they're trying to persuade Jesus not to go. Thomas just kind of hangs his head and says, he's going to die. Let's go die with him, you know? I mean, he loved Jesus. He was loyal to Jesus, and I've got friends like that. They love Jesus, but for some reason, they're just so pessimistic about life. When Karen held up that bottle last week and she said, how many of you see this half full? How many of you see it half empty? It was fun for me to sit there and to watch you. But then there was a few of you in here that you went, it's full because it's got air in it as well. You were the people that I looked at and said, those people have great faith because we know that somehow or another there's more going on that meets the eye. But for Thomas, it was always what met the eye. It was what he could see. It was what he could taste. It was what he could touch. It was what he could feel. He expected Jesus to go to the cross. William Barclay said that, that Thomas would have been a perfect model 
day American because of his tendency to be cynical. I sat down this week one night and because of the message, I decided I would watch the television and just try to examine the commercials. I had taken a class working on my master's in Minneapolis years ago where part of our assignment was to watch commercials on TV and degrade them on negativity, degrade them on skepticism, degrade them on whether they produced fear as we understood how things were marketed together. So I redid that exercise this week. And I finally came to the end of the night when I went to bed and I thought if I believed every commercial that came on that television, I wouldn't eat this, I wouldn't eat that because I'm going to die of this, I'm going to die of that. And the next day I decided I'd go online, I would check out some of the web commercials, which is where a lot of people are going. And friends, I got to tell you, we live in a very skeptical world. We can't trust our doctors today because our doctors don't know what they're doing. But if we'll buy this little miracle pill for $400, it's going to solve our digestive problems. And it's amazing how many people in America have digestive problems. I think it's because there's so many baby boomers getting old now. So they're amazing. I was amazed at the way that the economy is going to collapse. And if we don't have gold and if we don't have silver, there's going to be rioting. And did you know that even the wolves are coming out of the mountains? Because the Bible prophesied it, according to one commercial, that the beasts would be coming out just like on iRobot or something something like that, and they would be tearing the world all apart. Thomas would have loved this day because it was full of skepticism and it was full of doubt. But we also tend to be pessimistic because of the scientific method. And I love the scientific method, but when it comes to the scientific method, there's some things about faith you can't put under a microscope. There's some things about faith you can't test, you can't work on the way that science works upon them. Time Magazine, about a decade ago, did a whole story saying that they knew it was a cover story. They knew what love was now. They took people and they analyzed the body chemistry, what happened to their brains when they were in love. And so the conclusion of the article, and I'm just really cheaply summarizing it, was basically evolution had made us rise above the animals calls that we were able to have these chemical processes that we called love, which was nothing more than a chemical process. And when I finished with that article and looked at all their diagrams, I wrote across my magazine a very theological word that I learned from the president of my Bible college, and that was baloney. There are some things you just can't test scientifically. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There are very real things, much more real than the world that we live in. It's not in your outline or on the screen, but the Bible tells us about Abraham. He never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced, listen, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. 
Last night, Ben and I were watching the Bible, the, the, and I've recommended this to you before, but we were watching the story about Abraham because I wanted to revisit that movie that I had talked to you about, and Ben was asking me some questions about how they could believe. They had no Bible at that time, and God spoke to them, and how Abraham was able to trust God, and how Moses was able to trust God. They didn't have what you and I have today, but they believed God, and because of believing God. They earned a good reputation. As a matter of fact, such a good reputation that here in the United States of America, that whenever the president addresses the country in a state of the union, or whenever the speaker of the house stands up and speaks to the house of representatives, they all look straight up at the face of Moses, because Moses, who wasn't as blessed as you are blessed today, because he lived the other side of Calvary, he didn't have the Bible, he didn't have what you have, but he had faith in God. God. And friends, you don't need a lot. But when you have faith in God, everything is possible. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. Because we're convinced, as Abraham was, that God is able to do whatever he promises. And it's always a joy for me, and I hope it never gets old to our children, to sit down and remind them of some of the impossibilities that their mom and I have faced together, some of the impossibilities that we've seen. You say, Pastor, why do you keep telling stories like that over and over? Because in Psalm 78 and verse 7, it says that we are given these stories of faith, we are taught these stories of faith, so that each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. You see, we don't want our children to forget. And too often, even here in our congregation, some of you who've come back to the Lord late in life, or some of you who got hurt and were out of church for a long period of time, and your children missed being in church, and they missed those formative years, there's something about teaching your children in those adolescent years, in those childhood years, and in those toddler years, the Word of God, that it gets deep into their hearts, and even if they depart from it as they get older, there comes a time in their life like the prodigal son that the Holy Spirit and God's Word works on their life and they find their way or God helps them find their way back to the cross and they recommit their lives to Jesus Christ and what was headed for the pig's pen is suddenly headed for the gates of heaven. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? But that never happens for people don't feed their faith on the Word of God and feed their faith by staying, number two, in fellowship with the church. Staying in fellowship with the church. We don't know why Thomas wasn't with the rest of the disciples, but it happens a lot of times. For whatever the reason, disillusionment, skepticism, pain, people begin to absence themselves or once in a while begin to miss because of the blessings they have, the boat they have, the camper they have, the good things of life they have. And then they begin to make excuses and suddenly they begin to say it's not important to be in church every week or we can have church on the couches. Somebody told me just recently, says, you know, we've never found a church we like. So what we do is we have church on the couch. I said, well, what is church on the couch? Well, we look at who's going to be preaching this week and we decide who we want to listen to, and we have church on the couch, and we have it with our children. And I spent some time with their children. Their children don't have any faith. 
They're not paying attention. They're playing their iPads, their games, whatever the adults are listening to, but their families are going from one sermon to one preacher to the next. That's not church. As imperfect as it may be, as as dysfunctional as it may be, the church is Christian people gathered together like we are gathered together this morning, worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord, and to the best of our ability, studying and applying His Word to our lives. That's the church. That's the body of Jesus. Christ. And it will never be perfect. As a matter of fact, we should put a sign up at Woodland Church, no perfect people allowed. Because you're going to mess it all up if you come. (laughs) This week, Wednesday night, as I was coming into the church, I got a call from one of the ladies and inviting somebody to church Easter. And they said, oh, I can't come to church. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. And the doors were fall. And, and she said, you know, this lady is, has really, she's far from God, but she's really, Pastor, she's been reaching out to me, wanting to, to, to ask me questions. And I says, well, just keep encouraging her. Because some reason or another, she's gotten the mistaken notion that the church is full of perfect people. Tell her to come. Tell her to come. Because when she comes, Woodland, she's going to find a bunch of people whose lives were all messed up just like hers is messed up. But Jesus is doing something wonderful in us today. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, somebody praise him this morning. That's good news. (laughs) Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came. What a sad commentary. Yesterday was my real joy to do the wedding ceremony for Zachary Gilreath and Rachel Harry and pronounce them Mr. and Mrs. Zachary Gilreath. I called a couple of the couples that I had married over the years and just talked to them on the phone, sharing that day with them and just loving on them. Matter of fact, I got to tell you something. I've never done this. I have done, you would not believe how many marriages I've done over the years, but I walked, it's the first time it's ever happened, but the, 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 the wedding party all wanted to get together. Zach and Rachel wanted their whole wedding party to get together and, and to pray. And Zach says, Pastor, I want you to pray all over us. And, you know, typically the groom doesn't see the bride. And so we came around the corner. And I had just got done using this as an illustration. How many times I've heard the groom when he sees the bride go, wow. We came around the corner and there was Rachel. I didn't recognize her. And before I called myself, I went, Wow. I beat Zach to it. It was such a wonderful moment as all of those young folk who loved the Lord, we gathered around, we prayed together, and oh, inside right now, my little boy is jumping up and down as as I remember that moment because I had written in my journal that morning, God, manifest your presence at this wedding today. Let people sense your presence. And already things were happening differently, and the presence of Jesus was so manifested But what really touched me was how that their small group for Rodney and Angie came up to that wedding yesterday, Saturday night or Friday night for the rehearsal. One of the families in the small group, their small group came up and took care of Rodney's aging parents and made sure they could get to everything. And and if you don't know Mrs. Gilreath, she is a hoot. She just is a delight. but here was a member of the small group taking care of them. And, and then yesterday, all the small group was there, and some of the rest of you from Woodland were there as we celebrated their wedding. And I watched, and I realized that the small group that met in Rodney and Angie's home was also 
part of Noah and Lizzie and Zachary's family. You see, there's something powerful about doing life. That group has been through hard times and good times together. And maybe in your group, you've been through hard times and good times together. Friends, we need the church. Can somebody say amen? Amen. That's why God left us here for us. There are people like the lady that I was telling you about just now. She struggles with the I'm not worthy. But then there are some people that just think, I'm just too good. I don't need a small group. I can do church on the couch. And friends, that is nothing more than either pain where you've been hurt in the times past or else that's just pride where you don't think you need anybody else. We need one another. I don't want to embarrass you, but look at your neighbor this morning, not your wife. You can do that later. But look at your neighbor behind you before you and say, I need you this morning. We need one another in the body of Christ. Now, I guess I should have been totally honest with you. I've never been dishonest with you, but just then I was less than honest. You see, if you looked at somebody this morning and you told them you need them, What you really told them is, I'm no better and no worse than what you are. What you just told a lost person, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, we're no better than anybody else. Christians, real Christians, aren't holier than thou. We've just met, we're just people who were lost and we met Jesus Christ and he's changed our life and he's put us on a path where each day it grows brighter and brighter and brighter. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. I see a number of you fanning, and I don't know that I've ever had to do this in April, but any, any ushers that know how to cut on some air conditioning, we just cut on the air conditioner, because I can sweat and stink, but I don't want you to sweat and stink and leave church today smelling bad. I want you smelling good, but somebody cut on some air conditioning in April, and for that, I say, come on, victory. <laughs> Can't believe I'm having to say that. Third thing is stop your doubting and start believing. Stop your doubting. You know, you've got a choice. You really do have a choice. You can choose to be a doubter or you can choose to be a believer. You've got the choice. You, you have the power to choose. You know, and sometimes as parents, we would say to our children, stop it. Stop it. As a matter of fact, I can remember my dad, sometimes if we got to fussing in the back seat of the car, do you remember back seats of the car before you had vans and all of that? And I can see dad looking up in the mirror. We'd be fussing with another. He goes, stop it. And I don't know how he did it. I never got that gift. But somehow or another, he could reach around and pick the leg he needed to slap. <laughs> if you didn't stop it. Sometimes we would be sitting there and daddy would never stop until you started bouncing in the back seat. He knew then you had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, somehow or another, you know you can say, stop it. And Jesus looks at Thomas. Look at verse 27. Jesus said to Thomas, stop your doubting and believe. And if Jesus says that to Thomas, he says that to you and me this morning. Stop doubting me and start believing me. Stop believing MSNBC. Stop believing Fox News. Stop believing CNN. And start believing the Word of God. Stop believing Hollywood. Stop believing. If you're believing politics, God have mercy on your soul today. (laughs) I mean, uh, 
There used to be an old song when I was in the eighth grade called Dizzy, I'm so dizzy, my head is spinning. <laughs> Remember that song? I listen anymore and I go like a whirlpool that never ends. And I've come to the place, fake news, real news, phony news, good news, bad news, the commercials on television. I'm going, I am going back to the heart of this thing like never before because the only news that's going to stand is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that news will never fail you. That news will never change. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the Word of God will always abide. You see, what Jesus was doing, and you don't really get this if you just read it casually, but especially in the Greek, when you look at this, Jesus is confronting Thomas. Now, he loves him. You see, love confronts. When you love somebody, you confront them. If you see them doing something, that's going to destroy their lives, if it's going to damage their lives. Now, you don't come in like a bulldozer and try to amp up and power up on them. You learn how to confront. And Jesus is the master confronter. He knows exactly how to confront Thomas. And so he looks at Thomas, and I believe there's a gentleness in his eye, but he looks at him, Ethan, and he goes, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. He says, here, you wanted it, now do it. And he holds out that hand, he says, put your fingers here, Thomas. Put your hand in my side, Thomas. And I bet you Thomas was one of those times, if I could just take it all back, if I could just get it all back. But instead, he falls down and he begins to worship. You see, it's not that Thomas wasn't loyal, and it's not that Thomas didn't love Jesus. Thomas loved Jesus. That's what you've got to understand. All pessimistic people aren't backslidden. They love Jesus. But sometimes they only go so far with their faith. And that's the danger. And if you're one of those people that I plead with you to listen to me this morning and hear the heart of your pastor, but what I believe is the heart of the Holy Spirit, mere intentions are not good enough some people get all the way to the foot of the cross. They're willing to go with Jesus to the cross. But it's going down into that tomb, letting some things die. Remember what I said? Becky and I have learned that sometimes we take a step of faith, and if it doesn't work out, you know, it's not our reputation. It's not our reputation. It's all we just retreat and go, all right, that didn't work. You know, my favorite cartoon is still that one of the turtles sticking his neck out where the caption says, you never get anywhere unless you stick your neck out. You've got to be willing to take a risk. But sometimes you, you take that risk, you get to the cross, and if, if God calls you to let a dream die, if God calls you to let a, a plan die, if God calls you to let an opportunity die, you let it die knowing that on the third day that Christ rose from the dead and what God allows to die, God resurrects in faith. Sometimes the miracle has to be such that everyone knows, who knows anything about it, it would not have happened if it wasn't for God. And there are miracles that I know of in this church and in my life that we know would not, there is no explanation except for God. You see, 
I don't quote him a lot, but on this he was right. Confucius says to know what is right and not to do it is the worst kind of cowardness. And there are some things that the Bible is so clear about that we should do, that if we will do them, be brave and do them, then God can trust us with the glory of the things that haven't yet been seen, but will be revealed to people of faithfulness. Great faith follows faithfulness. Get it? Great faith follows faithfulness. To act means I'm making not only a commitment, but then I suddenly begin to do things that begin to shape who I am. Now notice what happens next. Thomas then, he, he, he makes this confession. He declares his faith in God. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. You've, you've got to declare your faith. You've got to speak out your faith. And this is not a, a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it type of thing. You first begin with your faith in God. You first stop twiddling your thumbs. You, you first stop dwelling around. If Jesus is not who he says he is, then Jesus was either a lunatic or a liar, as C.S. Lewis says. But if Jesus is exactly who he says it is, then every one of us should fall on our face and make the same declaration and confession that Thomas did. You are my Lord and my God. And faith in God, when you have faith in God, anything is possible. You see, the Bible says... That without faith, it's impossible to please him. And the beginning of faith is this kind of declaration. The beginning of love was to say, I'll die with you. The beginning of faith was, I'll die for you. And Thomas, the reason that you meet so many Indian people named Thomas is because Thomas is the one that ended up taking the gospel all the way to India. That's an incredible journey in that day. And the reason that southern India is predominantly Christian, and I can take you to the place where Thomas was martyred for his faith in Christ, but he didn't die until first he had established a church that began to reach out and to reach other people. You see, nothing is impossible when you put your faith in God. That's the reason I think it's important to talk about your faith. Talk to yourself about your faith. You know, I have a problem. People think I have a good memory. The only reason I have a good memory is because I write everything down. But I have another problem. I've got a key rack that I put my keys on. I've got a box that I put my box in my office, box at home. I put my wallet, put everything there. But I still have a problem. I will walk out of the house just like I did this morning and I'm on my way to church and I realize I don't have my wallet. Please don't call the police. <laughs> I don't have any cash. I've got my cell phone so I could give through my cell phone. But I got nothing this morning. But I have this habit that when I remember to do the habit, it works. I come down the stairs and I go, I have my wallet, I have my phone, I have my car keys. And I tell myself this. And then when I'm not at my office or at my house and I'm at your house because I don't like things in my pockets, I will say to myself quietly if I come into your house and I'll say, do you mind if I lay my phone here? Do you mind if I, and if I've been, you know, I've done this. And then I'll walk away when you're not looking. I go, I laid my phone on their mantle. <laughs> I laid my wallet on their hallway table. What am I doing? I'm 
telling myself. I'm reminding myself. So when we get ready to go, I don't have to go like I do so often. Becky, I can't find my wallets. I can't find my key. But when I tell myself, it's like, oh, I told myself I put it on your mantle. You see, it's important to talk to yourself. You talk to yourself all day long, believe it or not, don't you? You sometimes you say, oh, you look so good today. You stand in front of the mirror and you go, oh, my wife is so lucky she's got me. <laughs> or you stand sometime and you go, I am so, you saw something. I know you do. You go, I am so smart. You're talking to yourself. And then sometimes you do something silly. You go, you are the stupidest, stupidest man I know. <laughs> and it colors your whole day. What if we were to begin to talk our faith to ourselves? You know what? With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are. Oh, through Christ, I can do anything. Without him, I can't do anything. But with God, Abraham believed God, and God counted to him as righteousness. God is counting something. God is making deposits into my account because I choose to believe him rather than this report or that report. Whose report are you going to believe? And you start talking to yourself. And then you don't talk this way to everybody because they're going to think you're nuts, okay? But then you find a small group, like the one I was talking about earlier this morning, Rodney's and Angie's, or maybe one of the other small groups of the church, and you get together and you talk faith. So when somebody comes in, they says, oh, I've got this bad cancer report. You go, oh, we're going to pray. You know, I remember when this happened to me, and you start to talk to them, and you talk faith, and you encourage them. But the last, you don't do this because I hate this. This is wrong. Somebody goes through a divorce, and you go, just have faith. Somebody gets cancer, all you need is faith in God. My kids are, just have faith. Friends, promise me you'll never be so cold and heartless as to do that. You're cutting off conversation. Because what I'm trying to do here this morning is show you how to have faith. And when we talk about and encourage people with what God has done in our lives in the past, and so you know what? I promise you, I promise you every day this week, I'm going to be praying for you, that God will strengthen you, that God will feed you with his word. And you thaw that week long, you find a verse and you text it to them or you write them a card. Do you know what you're doing? You're helping them to have faith. You're pointing them the way. But the coldest thing you can do to somebody is say, just have faith faith. Declare your faith in God by talking about your faith to yourself, talking about your faith with others, but talk to others about how to have faith. And then finally this morning, I want to encourage you because Jesus said this, I didn't. I want you to receive God's blessings. There's a blessing for you and me that Thomas nor Peter not James or John ever got. Sometimes people will say to me, they'll say, oh, if I could have just lived when Jesus lived. If I could have just walked when Jesus walked. If I could have been one of those that hung out. No. The best thing for you and me was to be alive today in 2019. This is the time we want to be alive in. I don't want to live in any other. I mean, I've thought those. Please don't get me wrong. I, I have thought those things. What it must have been like to have gone camping with Jesus. What it must have been like to see Jesus feed the 5,000. I've thought those things. But you see, God chose that you and I would be born for a time such as this. And can I, 
can I just share with you my heart as a, your pastor? I want you ready to meet God. I'm wrapping up a conclusion, just a scan of Revelation. We finished Revelation 21 Wednesday night, and I'm just doing a, a scan. When I got to that, I wrote in my journal, Oh, Lord, there's a song that I, comes back to me from my childhood. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his amazing grace. And as I thought about that song, and I've been thinking about Becky and our children and my grandsons this week and you this week, and even had the moment I had to talk and pray along with Rachel and, and uh, Zachary this week. More than anything else, I want you ready to meet God. I want you ready to gaze upon the face of Jesus. I want you ready to look at Jesus and to see him because everything that we have known in this life is going to be like ashes compared to what we're going to experience in heaven with God. I was talking to a waitress this week in a restaurant and she asked me what my favorite dessert was. I said, this is a bad time to ask me right now. We're in a 40-day fashion at our church, but if you really want to know what I really want is I want a banana pudding with egg meringue topping. I want a chocolate sundae with lots of pecans and whipped cream and a cherry. And then I just got a little carried away and I said, honey, I don't know if you're ready to meet Jesus yet, but do you know banana pudding is going to taste like it's never tasted in heaven and ice cream is going to be better than it's ever been in heaven before. As a matter of fact, the best desserts of all are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And for just a moment, if she hadn't known me, she'd have thought I'd lost my ever-loving minds. But I told her what I'm telling you. One day we're all going to meet God. And I want you to be ready to meet him through Jesus Christ. So receive the blessing of God that comes. Because you haven't seen him, but yet you believe. And Jesus said, there is an extra special blessing for you this morning. Somebody praise him in this place today. Somebody praise him. Jesus told him, look at verse 29, Jesus told him, Thomas, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's you. That's me. And we're going to have eternity to celebrate that forever and ever and ever. And by the way, I did have a dessert at the wedding last night. So I promise not to eat dessert today. I want to close with a story. Honey, if you'll come on up. All week long, I haven't known how to close this message. And last night, while we were driving home, Becky was talking to somebody, and I was praying. The story of Asa came back to me. You can find that story in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And I did a devotion in Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa, and Lalibela from this passage. It wasn't to be intended as a way to to shame us but intended as a way to motivate us and the leaders that I was speaking to there I had visited a teen challenge center outside of Addis Ababa I've told you about it before 
I had preached, and you know I'm not a mystic. Before Becky and I married, I had a vision. That's the only way I know how to explain it. I was fully awake, I was fully alert, I wasn't in La La Land. And in this vision, I saw myself preaching. I could see everything. I mean, it was just it's that real as I'm telling you now. And this has happened rarely in my life. I was preaching in this huge, like a warehouse type of building. And there were thousands of people there. I saw the way people were worshiping. I'd never seen worship like that. And I saw people coming to know Christ, and I saw something really weird. I saw people that I knew that were in real bondage to the devil. God was setting them free. I told some folks about that and they laughed. They knew me. I still wasn't well. And I remember one of the men that I really respected because I, I just wanted to know if it was a vision from God. He goes, well, Dennis, you know that wasn't from God. That's something you could never do. Some of these others here could do that. But you could never do that. And he was right. In the natural, I couldn't. I told my daddy about it. And in daddy's wisdom, like always, he says, if it's God, he'll bring it about. You don't have to worry about it. He said, if it's not God, then don't worry about that either. Isn't that smart? <laughs> we just worry sometimes about trying to make things happen. Remember what I said? Sometimes you just retreat. Well, I've been asked by the general superintendent of Ethiopia, would I speak in Addis Ababa? And when I walked out onto the platform from this little room in this warehouse, and I looked out and I went, oh my goodness, I've been here. I've seen this. I knew that I knew. And then suddenly, as they began to worship, people would, they would start like this, and as they worship, they would just walk like this with their hands extended, and then they'd lift, I'd seen it all. Oh, I was so overwhelmed. I'd seen it all. I knew what was gonna happen that morning. Nobody else knew, but I knew what was gonna happen. It didn't matter what I was going to preach on, but I knew what was going to happen. That morning, with over 6,000 people in that warehouse, the very things I saw happen as a 19-year-old boy. And they were right. It was impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That week, I to that service I could tell you all about it was just something but then I went to the Teen Challenge Center and I saw that process of discipleship of so many people and I realized that a lot of times 
There are people out there marketing miracles, trying to say, if you'll give me $1,000, I'll send you a blessing covenant and you're going to be blessed. There are people out there that are not trying to sell you holy water. And I'm not trying to sell you a thing. I just love you. I love you. I love you. And I want you to be ready to meet Jesus. And I want you to have so much fruit to cast at his feet. And Asa faced an Ethiopian army that was so powerful. And he prayed one of the most powerful prayers ever. You want to write this down, verse 11. Second Chron you'll look at it later, but 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11. Asa cried out to the Lord his God. Now just listen. Oh Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. That's me. I don't know about you, but that is definitely me. No one can help the powerless. Without Christ, you and I are nothing. We are powerless. No one can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name. It is in your name. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. There is no weapon in hell. There is no man, no party, no group, no nation that can prevail against the word of the Lord. No weapon formed in heaven and earth can prevail against the body of Christ. If we believe that, and if we act upon it, and if Jonathan could put a flight an army, and if Asa could pray that prayer, and they turned back a terrible army, invading army like the Ethiopians. Think of what this side of Calvary, the presence of the Holy Spirit abiding in you, that you and your family can accomplish for the glory of God. And some of you, you may, you may be in danger of ending up like Asa ended up. Because Asa started out so humbly, depending upon God. But you see, there's something about serving God. If you serve God long enough, God will prosper you. God will bless you. You will go places. Your life will take you places you never dreamed you would go. But when Asa starts to get about my age, there's another invading army that comes. And Asa goes, you know what? I don't have time for this. He robs the temple. He doesn't rob, but he takes out of the temple treasury. He pays Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, to go fight his enemy. The man of God comes to Asa and says, Asa, was it because there was no God in Israel that you had to pay Ben-Hadad to fight my battles? God wants to use your faith to your dying breath this morning. And that's the legacy you want to leave for your family. My dying breath, I says, Lord, if you'll give me one more opportunity, I will kick the devil's you to watch. Amen. Stand with me this morning. I want. I love you, Jesus, with all my heart. And Lord, we're going to soon, all of us. It's. I told Zach and Rachel this this week, Lord. 
Before you know it, you'll have been married as long as Becky and I have been married. And sooner than we can imagine, we're all going to be standing in your presence. And Lord, I want something to cast at your feet. I want for this church, for every family, for every man, every woman, every young person in this church to have fruit to be able to cast at you. Say, Lord, here are the victories that you helped me to accomplish. So I ask you to help us to just live in this this week and to see what happens when we have faith in God. And then finally, Lord, maybe somebody's here today that doesn't or hasn't committed their life to you yet. I pray that, Jesus, you will come to them just the way you did to Thomas. And God, this morning, they will stop doubting you and start believing you. You died at Calvary for all of us. You rose again on Easter morning for all of us. And Lord, if we will only put our faith in you, you will give us a brand new start in life. So if that's you, I just ask you to pray this prayer with me this morning. You don't have to pray it out loud, but pray it sincerely. Dear Heavenly Father, I choose to stop my doubting this morning. I believe you brought me here for a purpose, to remind me that you love me. You shed your blood so that my sins could be washed away. And that, Lord, I can have a brand new start in life today I don't understand it all but I believe you Jesus I'm not asking you to believe this preacher believe Jesus this morning I believe you Jesus and so as much as I know how I give my heart and life to you today for it's in Jesus precious name I pray and everybody agreed and said Amen, amen, and amen. Let's give him one more hand of praise this morning, would you? Hallelujah. I love you. God bless you. Consider yourselves dismissed this morning.